DiscerningHearts.com presents Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. Mike Aquilina is a popular author working in the area of church history, especially patristics, the study of the early church fathers. He is executive vice president and trustee of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, a Roman Catholic research center based in Steubenville, Ohio. He is a contributing editor of Angelus Magazine and general editor of the Reclaiming Catholic History series from Ave Maria Press. He's the author or editor of more than 50 books, Villains of the Early Church, the book on which this series is based. He has hosted 11 television series on the Eternal Word Television Network and is a frequent guest commentator on Catholic Radio. Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me back, Chris. We're talking about, in this episode, a guy that has always kind of fascinated me. It seems as though we see Simon Magus, Simon the Magician. Is he still creeping around today, do you think? <laughs> no, I don't think he is. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> but he, he, he does kind of uh, recur in the historical record. We have him not only in the ancient documents of the church, but in the scriptures themselves. He appears in the Acts of the Apostles. Yeah, he's a fascinating character because he's someone who, I mean, he was pretty popular in his day. He would have big crowds, didn't he? Right. He was a magician. He was a performer. He was something of an entertainer. And he had pretensions to power, to spiritual power. He would have loved to make those pretensions into a reality. You know, we have that... Um, the, the, the origins of his story in the Acts of the Apostles. What happens is Philip the deacon goes to Samaria to bring the gospel there and fulfill our Lord's prophecy. Philip goes and he baptizes the people there, but they want more, of course. They want to receive the Holy Spirit. And so the apostles come to lay hands on them and give them the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is manifest with such power that Simon, this magician who lived in Samaria, sees this and he's envious of the power and he asks them you know how do i get this kind of power you know and he says he's willing to pay for it whoa i mean mm. and of course the apostles are offended by this and they see that he's offending god you know this is this is one of the great sins of the spiritual life and simon has given his name to it uh, ever since then, the church has referred to the purchase or the attempted purchase of spiritual goods as simony, simony, after Simon the magician, okay, Simon Magus. So he's important to our history, and it, it's, a, it's a scary thing, you know, to be reproached by the apostles. And so the apostles tell him, your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon, hearing this from people who obviously possess some genuine spiritual gifts, unlike his own, well, he's scared, and so he does repent. He says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. But apparently 
you know, his repentance, his conversion did not last long. Yeah, it seemed like a good thing. <laughs> it did. It did. But, you know, he probably was bored with Samaria. A performer like Simon wants to act on the big stage. And so he made his way across the world, really, the known world at that time, to the capital city of the empire. He made his way to Rome. And what's interesting is that Simon seems to have arrived in Rome and gone to the people who were Christians and really kind of made himself a parasite upon the church. He tried to mislead the Christians, and he succeeded in them because he knew enough about Christianity to hoodwink them. So we have to be very careful. You know, this is an object lesson for us today. We have to be very careful that we stay with the apostolic faith and not veer off because we're impressed by the pyrotechnics, the magic, the glistening appeal of someone who's tickling our ears, who's telling us things that flatter us and seem new to us. I always wondered, is it possible when he saw what was happening in Chronicle and the Acts of the Apostles, that he really truly believed that he could have this power? I, I mean, he looked at it as uh, something, I mean, the distortion yes. of how he viewed it. He sincerely believed he wanted it like everybody else, but that's just is his mode of trying to attain it. Oh, well, that's right. Up to that time, he was a magician. He was a performer. He was a master of illusion. And he thought that these apostles possessed tricks, like his own tricks, that, uh, that he, could, um, he, could, he could work into his show, make himself an even bigger deal, an even greater success. He did make his way to Rome, and there he went back to his old business, and he tried to reposition it as a Christian business. He would use the language of Christianity somewhat and use that as bait to draw Christians away from the true church and to accept him as a teacher. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? You know, the reason I, I said that earlier is he's still around today. I think we still have that today. And oh, it, yeah. And it can be, it may not necessarily be the Las Vegas Act. It might be somebody who seems to be preaching the gospel and may even have big crowds, Mike. Yes. But uh, just like St. Peter said, whoa, look at that heart. Yes. There's something not right there. You know, today we're willing to do it for much less. You know, it seems to me that a lot of people sell themselves out for um, likes on social media, mm. you know, and uh, and to gather influence that way. It's a it's our kind of magic. It's our kind of power. And uh, and and uh, and we feel impressed when we see all of these millions of, of followers for the for one figure or another. But we have to ask, you know, at what price did you gain those followers? And sometimes it's just by telling people what they want to hear or telling people what will shock them or telling people what, what suits their political agenda. We have to be very careful of this. Simon wanted to be in the big time, and so he moved to the capital city. And this is well attested, actually, in the ancient record. There are many of the ancient fathers who tell of the story that Simon moved to Rome and worked his mischief there. And we're told that Peter received a vision where it was revealed to him exactly what Simon was doing, that Simon was in Rome. By this time, Simon had kind of uh, attached himself to a mistress, a freed slave named Helen, but he had fallen in love with her, and he made her 
a kind of goddess, the quasi-Christian religion that he was preaching. You know, it had this veneer of Christian language on it, mm-hmm. but it wasn't real. It wasn't Christian. And so he, he was uh, dragging this Helen around with him and making her part of his show, and I'm sure that she had her own appeal in this performance. So Peter hears about this, and Peter goes to Rome. So I think that, in a sense, we owe a debt of gratitude to Simon Magus because he is the man who brought the first pope to the city of Rome. <laughs> so, so, so he plays this great part in Christian history and human history by drawing the papacy into the capital city of the empire into Rome, where it remains today. And when we speak of ourselves as Roman Catholics, we do this because of the city that was the, the church that was founded in that city by St. Peter and Paul. And it was Simon himself who drew Peter to the city to oppose him. Now, there's a mystery, you know, (laughs) in God's great action that, I mean, ultimately, the Father allows all things, doesn't he, Mike? You know, allows these things for our good. And that's the hard thing for us to accept. Well, trust is always always the hard thing. I, you know, when I think of the Divine Mercy Chaplet, it always uh, it strikes me that we repeat, Jesus, I trust in you three times. You know, mm-hmm. we, we say that three times because once is not enough. We have to trust that the future is in God's hands and he's working that future right now. He's laying the foundations. He's creating the conditions for great glory for us if we remain faithful to him. God works all things to the good of those who love him. And that's what he was doing here. I'm so glad you brought up the aspect of trust, Mm -hmm. because ultimately that is so connected to faith, fidei. Yes. And I'm sure that's why Jesus, in his uh, coming to to many of the saints, including the ones we know so well, Margaret Mary Alcott and, you know, St. Faustina, you know, just to tell us again, trust, have faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here we see in the life of Simon the Magician, he was trusting, but he kind of trusted in himself. Oh, absolutely. And so Peter goes to Rome, and Peter seeks out Simon, finds him in the home of a wealthy Christian. You know, Simon did not seek out the poor Christians. Mm-hmm. He went for the wealthy ones, mm-hmm. and he He wanted to benefit from their money and, again, to be a parasite on the church. He wasn't evangelizing and bringing new people to Christ. He was finding these established Christians, warping their faith and taking their money. So he's in this home, and he doesn't want to see Peter. He's trying to avoid him. And according to the legend, you know, God gives the power of speech to a dog. So the dog informs Peter of Simon's whereabouts. And Peter and Simon, according to this ancient legend, have many, many um, battles, really, showing off what they're capable of. And Simon is desperate for reasons of pride to outdo Peter publicly. And so Simon gives himself the appearance of death and then the appearance of of a resuscitation and that sort of thing. But Peter can actually give life to people and to animals and others, according to this legend. Simon's final moment of of hubris in this legend, he, he says that he's going to be buried alive and that he will rise again in three days. Now, I don't know what kind of trick he thought he had up his sleeve, but he was buried and wherever he's buried, he's still there today because he, he did not rise on the third day as he had promised. He was prevented from following through on this, this last great blasphemy. He died 
in his pride, trying to outdo Peter in wonder-working. We'll return to the villains of the early church and how they made us better Christians with Mike Aquilina in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. The St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology is a nonprofit research and educational institute that promotes life-transforming scripture study in the Catholic tradition. Founded by Dr. Scott Hahn and with current Vice President Mike Aquilina, the Center serves clergy and laity, students and scholars with research and study tools, from books and publications to multimedia and online programming. The St. Paul Center welcomes you to their free online studies. Whether you're studying scripture for the first time, looking to take your studies to a higher level, or whether you're ready for advanced training, you've come to the right place. In addition, for each track of study, they recommend books that will enhance your study and prayer and build your library of essential works in biblical theology and spirituality. The studies are free. Just visit SalvationHistory.com to view a complete library. From the Letter of St. James, Chapter 1, 12-16 Blessed is the man who endures temptation, For when he has been tried, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no man say when he is tempted that he is tempted by God, for God is no tempter to evil, and he himself tempts no one. But everyone is tempted by being drawn away and enticed by his own passion. Then, when passion has conceived, it brings forth sin, but when sin is matured, it begets death. Therefore, my beloved brethren, do not err. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. Boy, there's so much in what you just said, Mike, because it, you know, I kind of I said it earlier. 
is he around today? And I don't necessarily mean, of course, Simon the Magician, the actual, you know, Simon the Magician's mother's boy. But yeah. I'm talking about we have to be very careful because I hate to say it, there are those who kind of follow in his footsteps and they might even be in the Christian church. Oh, yes. And I think that it's, you know, it's, it's easy for us to excuse ourselves if it's not money we're taking. But it might be fame, you know, that we're trading our silence on certain key issues, for example. We're trading that for, the, for fame. We're trading our witness for a nice life, you know, because we get invited to all the great events and we receive adulation and we stay in the best hotels when we go. And we go to these conferences and these meetings at the best resorts. We're always the ones invited. It can be very easy to trade our witness to Christ in exchange for these things, and then refuse to rebuke or even to quietly witness to people who need to hear a rebuke or a quiet witness. It's hard, as you said, because in maybe in the areas of social media or any kind of media, it can happen in broadcast media or at, however that is, it's so very easy to love, fall in love with the sound of your own voice because so many people are telling you that you're so wonderful. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and, and that's something that we want to believe. <laughs> and, you know, we mm-hmm. don't want to confront the sins that are, that are in us. You know, at that moment of his conversion, that his brief conversion, Simon, even then, was preoccupied more by the, uh, the threat of punishment. The, the apostles kind of laid out all these terrible things that would happen to him. They warned him that his sin might be unforgivable. And so he was filled with fear. And fear can be a really good thing if you follow through on it. Fear should be the beginning of wisdom. Fear should be the beginning of love. But too often, people do what Simon did, and they just try to put a salve on the fear, you know, deal with it that way. And then move on in life. That's what Simon did. And he, it, was, uh, it was probably fairly easy for him to backslide uh, back into um, his show business of Christianity. Mike, the thing about Simon the Magician, he really, do you think, he sincerely believed he was in the right. I mean, maybe he, he just, that he saw it all in himself and maybe felt that that was what was happening with Peter and and everything else. I mean, do you, it, I mean that's such a danger zone that when we, it, it's like a, the ultimate navel gazing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know is my short answer uh, because um because of the quality of our evidence. Most of the things that we have, these legends, were set down on paper long after the events themselves. So they're, they're somewhat imaginative. They're somewhat fanciful. We don't know about the accuracy of the descriptions. The, some of the stories seem almost too good <laughs> and too pat. But, you know, the one thing that they agree on is just his, um, his showmanship, you know, that he seemed to like the stage. He seemed to like the attention. And, you know, I don't know that he actually believed in any of this, he may have been just performing all the time and he was aware that he was performing. You know, when I see that somebody regularly targets only the very wealthy for his Mm. so-called ministry, that sounds some alarms for me. Uh, 
and and that's what he was doing. You know, he was going after the people already converted. So there was no real risk there. There was no real effort there except at hoodwinking these people. You know, he seems like a lot. He seems to me a lot like these people who are very clever at um, taking the money of elderly people these days, you know, by by calling them on the phone and raising a scare and, uh, and getting them to wire money to them. That's Simon Magus, someone as pathetic as that, who's in it for the money and for the adulation and knows how to prey upon people and take advantage of their weaknesses. Well, one of the favorite spots for me when I go to Rome is to pray at the crypt of Justin Martyr. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you're the one that showed me his where he was located originally. And he has an interesting connection, in a way, to Simon, doesn't he? Yes, because he's a very early witness to Simon. He talks about him, and Justin is writing, you know, in the middle of the 100s. So it's not terribly long time after Simon's own arrival in Rome. So Justin is an early witness to Simon's fame, because here we are, uh, however many years later, 80 years after the fact, and Justin can still count on that memory, can still count on the fact that people will remember him in the church and associate him with these struggles with the Apostle Peter. And he had statues erected to him, didn't he? Yes, you know, that seems to be the belief of Justin, at least, that there was a statue raised to Simon the new god. Now, that statue has actually been found in Rome, and some people believe that Justin mistranslated the inscription on it. On the other hand, I can easily picture Simon taking advantage of the existence of that statue and saying that it was all about him. So it could very well have been part of his shtick part of his performance, part of his his uh, self-promotion in the city of Rome. Boy, it, you know, I think this is a real cautionary tale, isn't it, about, and we've repeated it over and over again, the danger of the mammon when, especially in ministry, when it becomes about the mammon, if that's what is foremost, and there's a fear that there will be a lack of it, that can be a problem. Yes, yes. What if uh, the number of my followers on social media begins to to decline? You know, it becomes a worry. You know, what if there's less of a demand for my writing? What if there's less of a demand for interviews for me? Wow, no one's called me in a week, uh, you know, to ask for a radio interview. People can be become preoccupied with these things that are accidental, really to our calling. And they can become so preoccupied that they're willing to compromise their calling for the sake of them. Uh, It's not a good thing. And we have to take the focus off ourselves, off our own resume, and repeat those those lines that that the saints have always repeated, non nobis domine, non nobis domine, you know, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. Mm. Trust. Jesus, I trust in you. And Simon Peter, the Simon, the rock Peter, he may have only spoken to crowds, yes, huge ones, but maybe even small ones. It it doesn't matter. The numbers don't matter, but he was faithful to what yes. God was asking him to do. That's right. You know, God doesn't need us to cheat for the, the sake of the gospel. God doesn't need us to cheat for the sake of cheap advancement. 
you know, he'll accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Uh, and we don't have to worry about that. We have to pray and trust and be faithful. The, in the very end of all this, we, 2,000 years later, have found the bones of St. Peter. And yet the other Simon, we have, and he's still buried somewhere. <laughs> and we don't know where. Yes, that's right. That's right. You know, it's funny. Uh, it's almost uh, comical when you think about the battles between Simon and Simon, Simon Magus and Simon Peter in ancient Rome. It reminds me of Mad Magazine from when I was a kid, uh, <laughs> you know, spy versus spy. You know, here it is, Pope versus anti-Pope, this crazy pretender who would make himself Pope. This is just another reason why I love the villains of the early church and how they made us better Christians. I'm not saying I love the the villains. I love your book. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Chris. I enjoyed writing it. I'll tell you that much. Uh, the stories are so amusing and entertaining. Well, the, the next villain we're going to be talking about, maybe not so much, but you'll have to tune in for that one. Until then, Mike, thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. You've been listening to Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina.